uh, good to see the rest of you here today as well. Let's take our Bibles this morning and uh, turn with me to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, as we see a real, and the whole book of Acts uh, is a book of transition. It's moving from literally the Gospels, where Jesus Christ ruled, reigned, if you will, and then was crucified. He conquered sin. It was a, it was a time then of taking a bridge, if you will, from those Gospels, Acts being that, into Romans and Paul's epistles. It's amazing what actually has taken place. Uh, and during this time of transition, there's a lot of sense of validation. We will see that again today. The sense of the, the, the Holy Spirit coming upon different groups of people. We're going to be into the sense of persecution, which the death of Stephen, which we've spent the last couple of weeks. Chapter 7 is all about Stephen, all about the message that he gave. Amazing man, uh, totally amazing. He, from our perspective, he would have passed from the scene far too early. The guy was amazing. He was full of the Holy Spirit, he was full of wisdom, full of everything. And literally his death is what blew the church up in a good way. In fact, as we go to chapter 8, just hold your place here. Let's, I, I would like to bring to your attention once again uh, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. Jesus Christ is literally ascending into heaven. He's being seated at the right hand of God. And he said to them upon his departure, verse 7 and 8, It is not for you to know the times or seasons, they were asking about the kingdom of Israel, which the Father hath put into his own power. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now that, that shall, shall we say, that mission, that directive, must have been overwhelming. At that point it was given to just the apostles. There's 11 of them at that point. Literally to evangelize the world with the cause of Jesus Christ all over the place, that must have been overwhelming. But it's amazing how literally when the church was begun, that it started from just that Jerusalem, that pinpoint. And it's, we're going to watch today now, persecution, the death, the martyrdom of, of uh, Stephen explodes it beyond that. We're going to move into Samaria first, 40 miles north. So with that, in Acts chapter 8 now, let's begin the reading in verse, we'll start in verse 1. Uh, and Saul was consenting unto his death, that of Stephen's. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the, pro the, the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. The people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. There was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man named called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that he himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard, because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. 
Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid, then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. When Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray you, to the Lord for me, that none of these things which you have spoken come upon me. And they, when they had testified, preached the word of the Lord, returned Jerusalem, and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. And may God add a special blessing in reading of his word. And let's just pause for prayer prior to our study. Father God, we're here today because you've allowed it to happen. We thank you for your wonderful and magnificent, awesome, creative work of which we can be the recipients of. Father, we're here because we want to learn more about you. We want to worship you. We want to praise your name, lift you up to high, on high, because that's what you deserve. Father, our, your glory is yours and yours alone. Uh, Father, as we study the word, we would ask that you would guide it to the depths of our hearts, that you would take us to a level relationally we've not been before as we come to a deeper realization of who you are through the scriptures. Father, we would ask that the Holy Spirit would solely and completely exclusively be our teacher this morning. And Father, that ears would hear and Father, our hearts would be tuned to your station. We thank you for what you're going to do. We praise your name in Christ's name. Amen. Acts chapter 8 is, a, is a, certainly a time of transition. Uh, there are several individuals that you meet in this chapter that are on both sides of the aisle, if you will. Uh, Stephen, his death is literally causing a scattering. Uh, things are going to change dramatically. In fact, up to this point, there's probably upwards of 40 to 50,000 people uh, that are saved due to the coming of the Holy Spirit, the beginning of the church, that are within Jerusalem. They would be made up not only the, what we would call Hebrew Jews that were within Jerusalem, but those that would be uh, the outer region, shall we say, that were Hellenistic Jews. Those that would have been living in Gentile countries came back to, during the Feast of Pentecost to celebrate in Jewish festivities. Um, upon the, the beginning of the church where literally Peter spoke a message and people were saved. They trusted Christ. The same Christ that two months before was, uh, and Leonard Mead's video, or his camp, your uh, projector isn't working today, correct? Okay, fair enough. So you're going to have to just go with my waving of hands then, probably. But at any rate, we've, we've always put, put up on the wall that temple area, which was the place where the church was literally, I would have to say, an enemy camp uh, in Solomon's porch, which has been in the outer court of the Gentiles in this massive 40-acre complex that encompassed the temple, was where literally the Christians met on a daily basis talking about Jesus Christ, which they crucified two months before just outside of the city wall. 
That Jesus was the one that was being seen as the Messiah. The world was changing within the city of Jerusalem, just like Jesus said. Just like he said. And now it's growing to a level that is amazing. And you know, if we step back, the only reason we saw Stephen was he was selected with six other men to take care of the needs of those that were, I'm going to just say, underprivileged. We're not, their needs were not being met, either food or monetarily. The apostles said, so tell you what, we're going to keep preaching the Bible. We're going to keep praying. We're going to keep doing what we're supposed to do. But we want you, the congregation, this massive group of people, select seven men out of you that can do this work. Well, two of them really start to, they flew out of this group. They were all Greek names, which means they probably were outlying Hellenistic Jews as well. Stephen got in trouble because he, in the course of the whole uh, metro area of Jerusalem, there was about 500 from historians saying that 500 synagogues that would be not just Jewish or Hebrew in the sense of how the service was led, it would no doubt be of various languages and different sects that would still be Jewish, but would be understood by those that would be visiting, Hellenistic Jews. Well, guess what? Stephen was that guy that stepped in outside of that, the Hebrew speaking, and was beginning to speak and talk about Jesus in these other synagogues. That's when the trouble happened. In fact, one of those, na- those places is said, Sicilia. Well, Saul of Tarsus is from Sicilia. I'm, I'm actually under the impression that he Paul, Saul at this point, Saul was probably named after King Saul because he was from the tribe of Benjamin. And so Saul being very Jewish, but very misled, very, very zealous, but very wrong. Just to be sincere, that's something we touch on today in our country. You don't really need to believe the truth as long as you're sincere in what you believe. Your truth can be as good as any other truth. That is a big fat lie. That's a big fat lie. Saul was sincere, but sincerely wrong. He was killing Christians. In fact, Jesus is going to approach him in the next chapter. We're going to have a meeting. We're going to have a coming to Jesus meeting. Literally, Saul is going to meet Jesus on the road to Damascus. He wakes up in the morning and has his his breakfast, and he is out to kill, maim, and destroy Christians. That is fully his contract for hire, shall we say, with the Jewish authorities. Well, at any rate, uh, here we have this duel, I think, this debate between Stephen, a man full of the Holy Ghost, uh, Paul, Saul, I keep calling him Paul because he becomes that, thank goodness, through the grace of God. But Saul and him probably debated. I really believe that's true. Saul was very gifted, very learned. In fact, under Gamaliel, it tells us back in Acts later, maybe chapter 26, he describes his, who he is. And he would have been a student of a very high up Gamaliel, who was the same one within the Sanhedrin that was giving, uh, shall we say, a background as to how to proceed with this Christianity. At any rate, the thing got out of control. Because I'll just say this, someone that's filled with the Holy Ghost is going to win a debate over someone that doesn't have the Holy Ghost. It seems rather clear, actually. And so what are you going to do if you can't defeat the message? Kill the messenger. That's exactly literally what they did. They killed this man, Stephen. Uh, Saul was probably the instigator because it says in verse 58 of chapter 7 that they laid their garments at the feet of this young Saul, which means he was probably the one in charge. He was all about getting this over. And you can see that man was zealous. In the first four verses we read in the, in the script, in the passage today, amazing. He was rabid with cleaning up 
this area of this quote-unquote church that was propagating and was expanding. He was going to put a stop to it. That's the first man we meet. But persecution is interesting. It works the same way then as it does today. That's the first time the first martyr of Christian of a Christian was Stephen. First one killed. Now there was other persecution. Peter and John spent some time in jail. Um, and every time there was pressure, it was like the preaching continued. That's something you see. Even in our world today, Muslim countries today, that's not cool to preach about Jesus, certainly from the standpoint that he's the son of God. So persecution is rampant. But the more persecuted, the more pressure that's put on, guess what? The preaching continues. In fact, look at the words in your text uh, in, in Acts chapter 8. It says, as for Saul, verse 3, he made havoc. That is literally just dragging people out of every house and committing them to prison. Then, did you see in verse 4, the first word, I mean, okay, stop. Don't, don't even go there. How would you like to be in the city of Jerusalem with this crazy man, this maniac that literally, did you see it? House to house. Let's see here on Fifth Avenue, and he's coming down your street today. What are you going to do? Are you going to tell him that you're a Christian? Are you just going to kind of like hide? Have a, what are you going to do? I mean, this guy was, he was a terror. Got it? Are you there? How's it feel? Feels like the U.S. is headed. It's not popular to be a Christian anymore. Certainly one that's committed to Christianity, that believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's not cool anymore. You can't say bad things that what the Bible says is clear as truth. You can't say that anymore. You're subject to who knows what. It's coming. This persecution isn't something that was just for those days or those ages. It's right here, right now. Are we ready? I'll tell you what happened. The first word in verse 4, because of that, it says, therefore, <laughs> the gospel spread. It went crazy. In fact, it says, therefore, they that were scattered abroad went about preaching the word. Preaching follows persecution. Now, that was also preaching before it, but persecution like drove it to the winds. I remember having a fire over here at the, that was a number of years ago, but it just doesn't seem that long ago. And it was just one of those days. Uh, we had burned some plastic or something. I don't remember that exactly, but I was, we, were, we were eating lunch and the wind came up. Kind of like the one yesterday, but maybe not quite. There was, was that's some burst yesterday, didn't it? It was wild. But at any rate, we, I'm looking through the window and I see this little wisp of smoke. You know what I'm talking about? I said, I think that's over at the, at the hay yard. I wonder if I should investigate. The, that insight says, probably better go do that, right? So I scurry up there and I've got a telehandler. And sure enough, what had happened was just well, all we can figure is because of the wind, there was still a spark, some ember re remaining, and it blew it into, and it was right on the edge of a chopped hay pile. A chopped hay piles are called explosive and flammable materials, honestly. And so I'm there, and I'm trying to get this out, just, you know, just separate it. So I got my telehandle, I'm, I'm digging this out, and I'm dumping, and the more it would be like just stamping on a, on a, on a pile of embers, you know what happens? It just spreads more fire. <laughs> Pretty soon my telehandler's on fire. Oh. Literally, I got, you know, I got... This is not going well. This is when you need to call somebody, right? And the wind continues. It's, it's cooking. In fact, later in that day, they, they said it was 60 miles an hour sustained. That's not good for fires in, in hay, right? <laughs> it went bad. So then I'm, i got to put my fire on my tail and I don't know this. So I drive into the barn, not thinking rafters are not that high. <laughs> it was really a downhill kind of a day, right? <laughs> 
got the fire on the telehandler, got it out, but that, it was kind of the end of it. It was, it was a vicious bugger. But I just still remember when I was reading this passage, it was just like Saul was trying to stamp out Christianity. And you know what? You will not stamp out the Word of God. The more he stamped, the more it spread. And the more persecution happened, the more preaching happened. That's how it works, isn't it? That's the way God works. Guess what? Remember chapter 1, verse 8 of Acts, right? Remember it? I'm going to start in Jerusalem, and it goes to Samaria. How is the best way to get to Samaria? Put the pressure on. Stamp a little bit on the embers, and we go 40 miles north to Samaria. Now, it says they went down to Samaria. Went down to Samaria. Now, that's interesting because in Jerusalem, see, I, this is where I'd have Laramie throw that map on the wall, and it'd be so cool, right? But from Jerusalem, everything was down. And so Samaria would have been 40 miles north. And that's where Philip, who's Philip? He's another one of the cohorts of the seven that was selected by the people. Stephen being the first one that was killed, martyred. This Philip really rises up and takes control in the sense of a preacher that is going to a new area. He is going to Samaria to proclaim Jesus Christ. Now let's talk about Samaria. It's not like the state of, I don't know why, but Wisconsin pops in my mind. It's not like North Dakota, Wisconsin, Montana. They're just being different states, all U.S. citizens, all very much connected. Maybe different somewhat, but we would still say we're very American. Samaria was an area that was literally in the middle of the nation of Israel that would have encompassed 10 tribes. If you remember, when David was the king of the entire nation of Israel, there was 12 tribes. David's son Solomon followed that, and everybody's combined. When Solomon passed away, there was the, his son was Rehoboam, and Rehoboam was somewhat of a spoiled kid, right? And he's going to, by power, just, you know, just wield his strength over the entire nation. And there was a revolt. There was a rebellion, if you will, and 10 tribes removed themselves under a man called Jeroboam, which Solomon had put the heat on, and he resisted. So we have 10 tribes that have separated from the land of Israel, we have two remaining, that's Judah and Benjamin. They reside in the, in the, in the Jerusalem area, okay? They become very distinct. That's where it started, but it got worse. It got really bad. And in fact, it got to the level, I'm going to fast forward for a moment. Uh, in Jesus' day, oh, I want my map back so bad. I want it on that wall. But at any rate, uh, if someone was traveling from northern Israel going to Jerusalem, you didn't go through Samaria, even though it was shorter. It would be like you could go on the interstate to go to Billings. I'm not going to go through that because there's some wicked people lives between here and Billings. I'm going to go all the way up to, I'm going to make it sick, Haver, and I'm going to drop back down into Billings. That's stupid, isn't it? But not if you hate that person mad enough. I am not going to go close. So they would literally shun the Samaritans by going around the very middle of the country. They would go east of the Jordan to get to Jerusalem. Why would they do that? That is weird. Now, I want you to keep in the back of your mind, because what did, what was, uh, who's our preacher guy? Just uh, Philip. See, when Philip was coming, he was proclaiming the kingdom of God, general truths about God, but it was also pinpointing, he talked about the Christ. Now, to us, when we say Jesus Christ, it's just a, full, it's a name, right? We say Jesus Christ. To a Jew, no, 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 no. Jesus was his name. Christ, Christos, would be his messianic title. When you say Jesus is the Christ, that's what got him crucified. 
because you're claiming that he's the Messiah. Now, it says that Philip was describing Jesus as the Christ to the Samaritans. Let's come back. Do they know who the Messiah is? Do you remember back? It's like John uh, chapter 5. Remember Jesus? They didn't take the trip around to have her. They went straight through because that's who Jesus is. He's going to confront you at every level. And he meets none other than the woman at the well. And she is a Samaritan. She's a Samaritan. So he's talking to a Samaritan woman, which he shouldn't be, right, by, by popular demand, at a well, talking to her about important things, like living water. He was actually in Samaritan territory talking to none other than a Samaritan woman. This is not good vibes. The disciples are, what are you doing, Jesus? And they come back from lunch. What are, what are you doing? You can't do that. What's the purpose here? So this is the same country. This is the same place. So let's talk about this. How did they become so hated? How would you get to the place that you wouldn't even be traveled through to go to another place? They would shake the dust off Samaritan territory. Well, we know both of those kingdoms, the north and the south, both of them literally disdained God. They both threw, them, threw God away. They served themselves. In 722 B.C., after a series of evil kings, God finally says, that's enough. Uh, you guys are going to get to go into captivity. And in 722 B.C., the Assyrians came in and invaded them. And they took most of them out to other plans, went back to Assyria. Okay? But what they did, which was insanely smart on the Assyrians' part, was the remaining people that were there, they brought from the outside world Gentiles of whatever nation or countries we're not even sure of, but they sent them to intermarry with the remaining Jews of those 10 tribes that were living in Samaria. And Samaria was the capital city as well of Israel. That's where if you go back to uh, a, a, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jezebel, what's, what, what was her husband's name? Ahab. Ahab, there we go. I was going to say Ahaz. It's not. Ahab and Jezebel, see, that was actually the capital city. That's how important this place was. But nonetheless, that whole thing just shambles, comes apart. They intermarry, and now they are literally a half-breed, disdained by the other two tribes that would remain for a while in the southern kingdom. Now you start to see it, don't you? This whole thing gets inflamed the longer you go on. For 500 years, that separation had been in place. They actually worked, worshipped at Mount Gerizim. In fact, let's go to the woman at the well passage for a moment. And let's take a look how Jesus handled this and her response. One of the things that's important is, do they know who the Messiah, did they even care about the Messiah? Yes, they did. Now I've got to find where I'm at. Um, maybe John chapter 4. I think it was, let's try that. John chapter 4, and let's take a peek. John 4. <clears throat> let's watch Jesus work. And the first part of the chapter, we're going to kind of move on through here, but I think we'll find in verse 25, let's, verse, here we go, here we go, verse 19. Now, after he tells her to go get her, get her husband, she said, I don't have one. Jesus said something like, yeah, I know that. You've had five before this one that you're living with currently. And she says brilliantly, this is like, I think, tongue-in-cheek humor, I perceive you're a prophet. <laughs> no way, buddy, right? You know stuff. How did you know that, right? But then he goes on to say, she says to him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Verse 19, chapter 4. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. This would be Mount Gerizim. 
And you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship you know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. And she says, verse 25, the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. See, they were looking for the same Messiah. That's why when Philip came with the message, the Messiah is here, that he's been killed, but you can still receive him. You can repent of your sins. That's the whole message, right? That's the deal. That's the gospel. Why were they so, let's go back to Acts now. And when knowing that, look at the reception. It's actually remarkable, but it's not when you understand they've been looking. Uh, verse 4, Acts chapter 8, Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria, about 40 miles away, and preached Christ. What's Christ? The Messiah. Unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, that were lame, were healed. And there was great joy in that city. You can see a revival taking place. It's amazing what's taking Now, again, the miracles, the wonders, all of that thing is, remember, what's Acts? It's a book of transition. It's a bridge, if you will, from the beginning of the church to where it is even today. You're here today because of these things that happen historically. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, that is historically your roots now, one of the things that's taking place in this transition is there's got to be a sense of validation or verification. Is this truly of God? That's the question. Because there's a lot of things that are being said and done out there. Just like today, how many messiahs, how many false gods can you chase in America? A lot. You can find as many as you have time to participate in. It's crazy. Well, it would have been the same thing then. How many messiahs were, in fact, we're going to meet a guy called Simon. We already read about him. I'm not sure that he didn't probably tell somebody that he was the messiah. He wanted to be important. This guy was egotistic to the last level, right? Crazy. I remember every time I used to see that word, there was a, there was a, a kid. We had fifth and sixth grade uh, classes together and teachers in grade school in Tuttle, North Dakota. And there was one that was, shall we say, he was proud of himself. It was amazing. His name was Marty. I'll leave his last name out. Um, but one day, Mrs. Berg, the teacher of the class, said, Marty, you are egotistical. Just popped it right out. I, you know, the rest of the class, at fifth and sixth grade, that's not a word you use every day on the playground, right? <laughs> so it's like, and of course, he, he sheepishly, he doesn't know what it means, right? He's, so he's trying to figure, what did she just tell me, right? Hmm. And she says, she says to him, do you know what that means? No. She says, I want you to look it up. He didn't even know how to spell it to look it up, right? <laughs> but I'll tell you what, that was, I still remember when he looked it up. I think she went and looked it up for him and handed him the, you read that to yourself. <laughs> and it depicted exactly who he was. This Simon is, he's egotistical to the max. He is so proud of himself at every level. And you know what? That's something, pride, egotism, whatever you want to say, is absolutely the sole number one divider of men from salvation. You can't get to God being prideful. You cannot do it. This man, Simon, is a faith that really never got there. He was only believing in himself. He was only using it to add on to the goods he had to appear to, and to obscure people from knowing God, honestly. 
that pride, that egotism was so entrenched, so entrenched in this man. But the rest of the city of Samaria, that whole region, would have really started to be, be, be receiving Jesus Christ, receiving this message from Philip. Why? Because of the persecution that took place in Jerusalem. This thing is really starting to go, and it's just like those embers that you're stamping out. The Word of God, the Gospel, is being spread everywhere. You can just feel it, can't you? Wherever they're at, they just keep preaching. Persecution makes more preaching. It's going crazy. They're ready for this. There's great joy. But there's this one guy. We're going to have to switch now. We're going to go, meanwhile, back at Simon's place. It addresses to us, just gives us a quick overview of this man. Uh, there's some things about him that are pretty troubling. Let's, let's go to our text and let's read. There was great joy in that city. And then the word is but, uh, verse 9, but. But there was a certain man called Simon, who before time in the same city used sorcery. That's a word we could use for magic. It could be white magic, black magic. It could be ways, and it says even, and bewitched, that's to deceive, the people of Samaria. Watch this. Giving out that himself was some great one. <laughs> Who's receiving the glory and all of his stuff? He does. He's elevated to the point. In fact, look at the next verse. To whom they all gave heed. And others are all tuned into this guy from the least to the greatest saying, this man is the great power of God. Oh, my goodness. I mean, if he wasn't prideful, just the fact that he owned them, so this power that he was using, and I'm, he, was, he was demon possessed. He was demonized. Maybe demonized would be a better word. You can just tell from the sources that he's using. And he has those people in his hand. He's watching all of this happen from Philip. Philip is down there. God is inspiring and, and validating with miracles and wonders. People are being healed. Demons are being cast out. And he's looking from a distance saying, whoa, we could use some of that. That would sell well. I could add that onto my arsenal. Now, that's another thing, isn't it? You don't, salvation is not an add-on. Anybody that tells you Jesus Christ, now the Gnostics would say that. Gnostics are those who are really into knowledge, right? There was only those that had upper learning, upper levels. They understood more clearly. There's even Gnosticism everywhere in this world today. The New Age movement, very, very much into Gnosticism. There's a, there's a sense of knowledge is more important than anything else. The more you know about your inner self, all of that sort of stuff, right? And it goes to different levels. But here's the key. It's always added on to something else, if you come to Jesus Christ, you're going to come to him alone. By faith alone, I mean, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, on the scriptures alone, so that God's glory is for him alone. It's a lot of alone stuff going on because that's the way salvation works. But you can tell that Simon is looking from a distance. He's, he's saying, whoa, this is not going to be good for me. The more that the city is being turned to Jesus... And to Philip and his message, the less I'm going to have control over them. What will we do? Well, he does something that's pretty cool. Because Satan has a way of infiltrating. Remember that parable uh, that Jesus gave, talking about the wheat and the tares? Remember that one? Uh, Satan's really actively doing that right now. While the city is, of Samaria is receiving Christ, God is sowing seed. Satan in the middle of the night is sowing his own, and this man's name is Simon. 
Simon is a seed, but you can't tell. There's three ways to really look at Christian, as a Christian. There's three things, three marks, shall we say, that would be important to look at. One is to believe, to believe Jesus Christ is, in fact, the Son of God, and He's the one that paid for my sin, okay? There's that sense of believing. Then there's a sense of, secondarily, obeying. Obey, Jesus said, if you love me, don't keep my commandments. No, keep my commandments, right? So there's a sense of, just lost it, my mind went blank, uh, believing, obeying, and then there's another one. And this is the one that sometimes is, takes time to develop, it's to continue, right? I mean, you can have a good little song for about two days or three days, a week, and you're right back into it. That probably was not sincere. That was not a sincere belief in Jesus Christ and a full commitment to giving everything, not an add-on, a full commitment, because you become a new creature in Christ. And look at this. This is kind of, this guy's really good. He's actually scary good. And do you think that even, I think Philip was even missed it. Because Philip baptized what would seem from the text as we end it, an unsaved man. He sold his bill of goods. Let's go on. Let's keep going. When they, verse 12, and when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Okay? That's what's happening. Then Simon himself believed also. Now, that sounds fantastic, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound good? How he got it. This guy, this sorcerer, has become a Christian. He believed. And then, look, it even goes another level. It says he was baptized. And he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. This guy is smooth. You say, well, how do you know he isn't? Well, the passage later on tells us pretty clearly. He's got the wrong picture of at least four things. He has the wrong picture of himself. Uh, Our self itself is the fact that he thinks he's pretty sporty. He's special. In fact, people tell him he's really special. In fact, he literally thinks he's God himself. And here's the thing that we need to take away from this. Not just this, but in every day. If we're not worshiping God, what are we doing? We're worshiping ourselves. We've displaced, just as, as, as John in his first epistle said, little children, abstain from idols. That's his last parting shot. That's not just, if we're not worshiping God, the God, we're literally worshiping something else. It could be money, it could be power, it could be, it could be anything. And this Simon was literally a worshiper of himself. You find it everywhere. He loved to have that power, and he'd been doing it for years. What's the hardest thing to break for somebody that's been doing it for years? Is that power that you have. He's wielding it. He's wielding it. Wow, he fools people. Do you think that happens today? (laughs) Oh, my goodness, right? More than we could possibly know. Only God knows. Now, God knew that he was pulling a trick. Now, let's keep in mind something else is developing. Now, we got to go from Simon's residence where he's, he's doing the right things because it's all about externality. Okay? Number one, he had the wrong perspective of himself. Egotism will keep you from God. It doesn't drive you to him. It, it's, he's just smacking of it. If, if you're struggling or you know someone that's really struggling with pride, that would be number one to go away. You've got to cancel that thing. It's got to go away. You have to come to the grips of exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden. And Adam and Eve traded God, the walk in the park, shall we say, with God, for self. You can be as God. Remember that? What a, Satan sold, I mean, how many times can you use the same worm in the same line and people keep, keep buying it? 
It's still working. It's still working, right? Look out for number one, right? Books are still written about that and they still sell. It's a winner. Why would you go away from a winner? But salvation, what was salvation to Mr. Simon? It was so external, wasn't it? Did you see he's watching, he's looking, he's wondering about all of this stuff that's external? But salvation is an inner work. Let's watch this now. Someone else is coming to town. Why? Who's coming to town? Let's start with that. Who's coming to, who's coming to Samaria? Who's coming down from Jerusalem? Peter and John. Now, what do we know about Peter and John thus far in the beginning of the church? Man, they are there, aren't they? They're cl- Every place there's an important decision or an important... Me- they're there. Peter says this first sermon, the gift of the Holy Ghost, literally, tongues of fire, landed on those 120 believers that were in that room on the very same time in there. How was it validated for those? How did they know the Holy Spirit came? Because those Hellenistic Jews, which were coming in from all around the world, would have spoken different Gentile languages. And all of a sudden, these 120, the beginning of the church, that were filled with the Holy Ghost indwelt for the first time as a uni- in unison, they began to speak in languages that were understood by those that had come from across the globe. That was shocking to them to hear the wonderful works of God, as it says in chapter 2, of the works of God in their own language of where they came from. That'll blow their mind, right? That was the first indication of the Holy Spirit taking control in a group simultaneously at the same time. Now, if we go to... Uh, in fact, let's do that because this seems different because I will tell you in the, in the epistles, it says that the Holy Spirit comes on every single person that trusts Christ as Savior. Now, we've already seen in our passage here, right, in chapter 8, that there's been men and women have been saved. They have they've trusted the message. They've been saved. They've been baptized, correct? Why does Peter and John have to come from Jerusalem to give the gift of the Holy Ghost. Because, marking that, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 tells us this, which is, is key to the time frame in which we find ourselves living. It's in the church age. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And did I get that wrong? Where did I write it down? Oh, I hate it when Larry does this. Um, eight, nine, eight, nine. Maybe I'm wrong. Sorry. Maybe it's. I think I know what I did. Just a second. Nope. Okay. Well, very good. Let's go to First Corinthians chapter twelve, and verse twelve. That's a different angle. We'll look at it. First Corinthians twelve, twelve. And in the meantime, I'll try to figure out where in the world. 12, 12. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ, the Messiah, Christos. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. You can tell that this is supposed to be one body with one Spirit. Okay? So think of this. I just told you about how the Samaritans were, were how they became their own race, correct? Okay, so let's, let's go back, meanwhile, back at Jerusalem. And so we got Samaritans are being saved under the preaching of Philip. Now, it's not Philip the apostle. It's Philip the deacon that was selected out of chapter 6. 
Hey, did you hear about what's going on in Samaria? Man, those guys are accepting Christ as Savior. It's crazy. I mean, they are, they're, they're part of the church. Oh, no, whoa, 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 whoa. That's a line we don't cross. We don't even walk through their territory. So how would that be able to join that? We just read, that's, that's what it is today. If you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit indwells you immediately, indwells you. Now, the point of the matter is you don't have to get any more of him. It's the question is how much of you does he get? That's the difference in yieldedness to the Spirit. But something is in transition. The Jews have experienced the filling of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. What would be more important than to make sure that the validation, the verification of the Samaritan Christians now would in fact receive the Holy Ghost at whose hand? The same ones that had put it in Jerusalem. That's Peter and John. So they've come to town to see if what's gone on is exactly the same so we don't have the church of Samaria and the church of Jerusalem and the church of Nazareth and the church. No, no. What did we just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12? It's all one body in Christ. So it's important that all of this comes together. This is a time in the beginning and a transition period to prove the fact that these are, in fact, Christians. What would be the better way to do that? Just exactly what happened. Let's go back to our text and take a look in Acts chapter 8. It says, when the apostles, verse 14, were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was, he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Okay? The timing of this, the transition of this is absolutely paramount. The Jews received it in Jerusalem. The, the, uh, the Samaritans now, at a later date, after receiving the gospel, for Peter and John to literally be the apostles who were the foundation truth bearers, to put their hands on them, to receive the Holy Ghost, that's verification that, in fact, this is the same gospel. This is the same church. Now, in fact, there's another step. We would have went from Jews to half-Jews. In chapter 10, there's a man by the name of Cornelius. Cornelius was full Gentile. And Peter was called for that mission as well. Remember, God sets him up first because Peter's interest in Gentiles was about that much. None, right? In fact, he gives him a vision. He gives him a dream. He says, I want you to eat of these foods. Oh, oh no, 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 no. Those would be off limits. Those are not kosher. Those are not cool if I'm a Jew. And God said, what? What God has said clean, don't make it unclean. And he got that message a couple of times. After the second time, he's wondering, what is this about? Peter, I got a place for you to go. I want you to go to see Cornelius. That's a Gentile. It's starting to come together. And you know what? The very same thing happened. He, the power of the Holy Spirit came upon when Peter laid his hands on those men and women that were Gentiles. The church needed to see that. The Jerusalem church needed to see first of it at home, Samaria, then Gentiles, so that it's all the Holy Ghost, the same Holy Ghost. In fact, look at chapter 11, verse 15. The evidence is, this is why I think that Simon, our man, was very interested. Chapter 11, verse 15. Peter is back in Jerusalem reporting back on what's taken place. Acts chapter 11. Now, this was actually after 
the Cornelius event, and verse 13 is where we'll pick it up. Peter displaying to the church in Jerusalem. He showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Speaking of Cornelius, who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. And as he began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as, watch now, as on us at the beginning. In other words, the Holy Spirit, I can't tell which one of you has the Holy Spirit. Because it's an internal thing, right? It's a God thing. He places the Holy Spirit in you if you've trusted Christ as Savior. So how would they see this external work, if you will, the Holy Spirit is really taking this by foot? As he said, just at the beginning, what happened in chapter 2? Literally tongues of fire, and they were speaking in languages that were understood by other people to verify, to validate that was the Holy Ghost. I believe in each one of those instances, those signs were given. Otherwise, Simon, we'll come back to him in a moment, when he saw this happen, it was like, whoa, I could use some of that. In fact, now he sees the Holy Spirit as a commodity. Salvation was a commodity. It was just like corn or wheat. You go down and you buy a bushel or a truckload or a trainload or whatever you want to buy, right? You just buy it, and it's yours. You add on to what you're doing. Oh, no, 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 no. That is not God's way. Remember Naaman? Remember that guy? He had leprosy. He was a Gentile. Uh, if there was ever anybody that wanted to buy wellness, it was him. He's got this, you know, these donkeys loaded with stuff. I mean, silver and you name it. And it, he's going to buy this healing. And it's like, right? You get it? And that's not how God is. God's grace is free. You know, we're here gathered in this, this moment in time that we're having another Independence Day. Where we declare ourselves to be free from England. And I think of that. Boy, freedom is not free. It's not free. Now, today, that's, that seems to be sold that freedom is, it's just like shrug your shoulders. I mean, that's crazy, isn't it? Look at, look, at, look at the power of sin. Now, if you don't have Jesus Christ and you're here today, I will tell you, you are enslaved. You are totally unempowered in the sense of being free from it. You are owned by sin. I said that out loud, yeah, and I meant it, because that's what the Bible says. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Poof! That is big, it's real. And if you doubt that, there shouldn't be any more obituaries in the papers. Because the wages of sin is death. We bought it. Adam and Eve bought that story. And it's enslaved us. It's ensnared us. And I think of all of the lifeblood that this nation's sons and daughters shed. Freedom's not free. And that's number one, we need to understand that. Anytime we make grace free and not knowing what took place in the Old Testament, in other words, remember the Passover? They're in Egypt and they're about ready to leave. They'll like blow that pop stand. And the last plague was the death of the firstborn. And to escape the angel of death, it required the blood of an innocent unblemished lamb. That blood was put on the doorpost, and then the angel of death passed over. That's why John the Baptist said when he first saw Jesus, here's Jesus coming. He's coming, right? And, this, and John the Baptist is the guy's the forerunner. He's telling everybody, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I'm the forerunner for the one that's really important that's coming. Now, that is the opposite of arrogancy, isn't it? The opposite of egotism. It's, I'm here so that I can pray for him. I am not worthy to unlatch his shoe. Ooh. And then he said this. 
behold, he hadn't even met him. He just sees him from a distance. It had to be within God, God in the Spirit speaking to him. Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. That is the most magnificent thing that could have been said. Thank God that Jesus Christ came to pay the price for sin. What did it cost? It cost him everything. This is God coming to earth in the form of a man, Emmanuel, God with us, paying the price of sin. And the less you see of that, the less likely you are to see Jesus Christ. See, America's had it good for so long that we've lost focus, haven't we? we? We've lost it. It's been so easy for so long, we don't even understand the costs anymore of freedom. It blows my mind. It's the same with sin. See, we've, we've been so sin-laden that we don't, even need, we, we don't even think we need a Savior. That's the worst thing that could possibly happen. Not even that there's not a Savior, but not even knowing you need one. Welcome to America. I don't need a Savior, for heaven's sakes. I'm, remember what the church in Laodicea said? Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. We are rich. Jesus, and, and Jesus said, we don't even know what you are. You're not hot, you're not cold. I'm going to spew you out of my mouth because I don't even know what you are. But they thought they were rich. Boy, if that isn't a depiction of the latest, greatest look at the church and a world we find ourselves living, I don't know what is. We are in the last days. In fact, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, that entered the last days. But we are at the last of the last days, given how things are going and unfolding. Are we ready? Are we preaching the word? Bring it, Philip, right? Wow. I'm on fire today. This is good stuff, though, isn't it? Just think of the power that Jesus Christ unleashed against the world, and the city is getting it. Let's go back to Simon now. This, well, before we do, let's just review for a moment. The apostles, Peter and John, that's the right two guys, because they've been, they've been evident, very, very outspoken all the way through this. They enter Samaria, and they say, this is real. This is absolutely real. Now, receive the Holy Ghost, which I believe it was very apparent, because there's something happened externally that would have been declarative, declaring the fact that the Spirit was there. I can't tell who has the Holy Spirit here today. I don't know which one of you are truly Christians. But there was something at the inception, the transition of the Samaritans, that would have been exhibited externally because watch what our Simon guy does. Let's go back to chapter 8 of Acts. They laid their hands, <clears throat> verse 17, on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. When Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given. Okay, stop. Whoa. It was externally noted. It was seen. You could see something in exhibition, which I think is probably the same because we went to chapter 11, verse 15. It says it fell on just as it had to us. What happened in chapter 2? They were speaking in languages, which people could understand. Simon sees this and he says, now this is the same guy, right? Philip had just what? He said he had believed. What did he believe though? That's important, isn't it? I remember, uh, off topic for just a second, but there was a man uh, down the road. He was from California, and I got to know him fairly well. And he was suffering from a cancer. I don't remember of what kind, but at any rate, he was struggling. And I went to see him one day, and uh, it was like he says, well, I just have to believe. Okay, that's true. What are you believing? Well, you just have to believe. Believe in what? Just 
You know, in other words, now it's, what is this? Think of this now. This is self-proclaimed strength in the faith that you have in yourself, right? Call it what you want. That's what it is. There's so many people running across this world today that have faith. Everybody has faith in something. You're exhibiting faith right now. Every one of you is exhibiting faith that I'm not. You're all sitting in a chair that you believe will hold your weight. That's faith. Everything you do through the day, you're exhibiting faith. But what is the faith in? It's only as valid as the object in which it's placed. The only one that can conquer death is a belief that Jesus Christ can do that. Simon is believing that he wants some of that stuff. That's what he's believing. I'll believe that, and if I have to be baptized to get it, that's okay. But watch, you can see now, Peter sees instantly where his heart is. Instantly. Because he sees the Holy Ghost, and he's whoa, you talk about making myself important. Because he says this, watch it now. He comes to Peter. Verse 19, I'm going to come back to verse the last part of it. He says, saying to them, give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. Who would get the glory on that? In other words, I come over to Paul and I said, I'm Simon and I can give you the Holy Ghost. And Paul would say, thank you, Simon. Right? That's what it's about. That's what it is. It's an add-on. It's something to more to be added. But you know what the dead giveaway was? I'll pay you money. I'm going to buy that from you. No, no, God's stuff's not a commodity. Salvation, the holy, that's not purchasable. But it's everything you are. You're going to be committed to full surrender to get it. You're going to become a new creature, not an add-on creature, a new creation. Do you see where Simon, you really start to see where his heart is? What did he believe? He believed only what he wanted to believe so that he could be more important. This is a false faith. Now, wait a minute. He was baptized. There are those that believe today that the only way you can be saved ultimately is to be baptized. That didn't work there. because <laughs> We're going to watch Peter on load. He's going to scathingly give a demise of this man's quote-unquote salvation. And baptism or no baptism. Baptism is only external of what you truly believe. I think Philip missed it. Is, is, is Philip wrong? For, uh, no, of course not. This man testified. I believe. I believe. But only because he wanted something. Boy, is this thing ringing home or what? <laughs> There's a whole lot of people that have a false sense of salvation. Make sure it's not us. It's a commitment fully to Jesus Christ. <laughs> I, I, I just, um, you can just see Peter now. This is like Oh, sir, let's chat about this a moment. You've got it all wrong, but let's just kind of work through it. No, no, watch this. He's not making friends. He's, he's, he's taking hostages. He, he, whoa. He says, thy money perish with thee because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter. You're not even part of this. Why? Because your heart is not right in the sight of God. Now he tells him something. You see, now, Simon had the wrong perspective of himself. You can see, did you see that go away? No, no, no. See, that's, what's, that's what is telling. He says, hey, Peter, old buddy, old pal, tell you what, well, that is crazy magic. That is good stuff. Why don't you go ahead and I'll pay you, you know, because that's how he's bought all his other stuff. Buy another book about magic and you go learn that trade and you buy some more stuff. And that's how the whole thing is outside of Christ, right? You buy, you buy and sell. It's a commodity. He said, I'll pay you for that. That could really, really bring me some notoriety. 
Oh, man, I tell you, part the shades and see who's, who's the weeds here, who's the tares. It's really fully known. You're starting to see by the fruits, you shall know them. Peter says, no, no, I'm sorry, that's not the way it works. And he tells him to do something. He lays it out on him, and that's, what's he going to do with the sin that's in his life? Clearly, it's the same part of every time that Peter and John have been around. He says, repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I, for I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Sin owns you, buddy. Now, that sounds good, right? Laid it out. Boom. Uh, basically, buddy, you're believing in something that is all about you, just making you more important. Okay? Number two, your sense of salvation is all about adding on to. This is just an add-on program for you. Wrong. It doesn't work that way. And no, the Holy Spirit is not for sale. You can't buy and sell it. Now, there's actually, you re, if you follow some of the television stuff, it's amazing. Those guys are buying and selling stuff, aren't they? They're buying and selling acts of God. You buy in. You get a prayer cloth. You get whatever. Give me $1,000 of seed money, and, and you will have God bless you. No, stop already. That's not of God. Where is that in there? But the last one we really see is Simon's perspective on sin and sin itself. I've had this happen to me a number of times. Uh, not a lot, but I was thinking of one individual in perspective that I deal with, uh, not on a daily basis, but pretty often. And, you know, like I'll, maybe he knows I'm going to church or I've got something going on or whatever. And he says this. Hey, Larry, would you pray for me? Because I, I don't know about... And, and when you think about that, it seems innocuous. It seems innocent. In other words, I, I, do I care about him? Yes, I do. But mark this, God doesn't have grandchildren. He doesn't have friends of friends. He doesn't have saved of friends, right? This is a personal, intimate, individual responsibility. I can't say that loud enough. You're probably saying that was loud enough. Okay, that's fine. But the point is that you can't miss. And guess how Simon responds? Now, Peter has been very blunt, very crash, if you will. It was almost too much in his face, but this man needed it, didn't he? And how did he respond? Peter, dude, you need to repent right now, right here. Repent is to turn around the other way. Kiss your wealth, kiss your money, kiss your power, and throw it away and come to Jesus. What does he say? Let's read it. Then answered Simon, verse 24, and said, Pray you to the Lord for me, that none of these things which you have spoken come upon me. Sorry, it doesn't work that way. That's not how it works. You know, moms can pray for kids, and grandmothers can pray for kids, and dads can pray for grandchildren. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not my point. The point is, that individual has to come to Jesus clean on his or her own terms with God. There's no shortcuts to that. You've got to go directly. And unfortunately, there's not another verse to follow up that he did that. That man's faith was insufficient because it didn't change him. He continued with Philip only because he wanted more stuff to make him look more important. If that's how we're coming to Jesus, it's just a life insurance policy so we can put it in the vault. And at the end, when we got a fire coming, we can pull that out and we say, there it is. But nothing changed. It's not real. That's not real. You can't do that. 
Boy, that, that sings pretty loud, doesn't it? That sings pretty loud. How many, you read that verse, and it says Simon believed also. What did he believe? That's why the doctrine, what he believed about himself was wrong, what he believed about salvation was wrong, what he believed about the Holy Spirit was wrong. Obviously, he got what was wrong about sin as well. That's heavy stuff. Same for today, 2023. There's people that are sucked into that today. Yeah, Jesus saying, well, it's all right. I should, put, I should just add on. Put that in my wall. I'll get my Jesus card, and I'll put it in there, right? It'll be good for later. Redeemed at heaven's gate. Peter's going to let me in. Of course, he's not involved in any of that, but you follow what I'm saying. I was good enough. I gave some to the missions. I was, you know, my wife actually worked at the hospital rescue aid. I mean, we, we did stuff. We're better than average. Good in, No, no, stop, stop, stop. Your picture of sin is not high enough in how deadly it is. Look at a young man that I've got to get back to. It's been several weeks. He asked me, that was a great question. We've been kind of, I've been kind of mentoring him a little bit. And I said, you know, I, I just, I didn't know what to send him. He wanted me to send him something and, you know, he could work on it and we get back together. I said, what do you want? He said, I'll tell you what. I want something that is at the end of your life and you have like 20 minutes to tell me what's the most important thing. Share some wisdom. Whoa. And I didn't take that nonchalant. I mean, that was like, that's a fantastic question, right? Isn't that great? Still haven't got back to him. So the end of the world's not yet, I guess. My, hopefully my life goes for a while. But you know, one thing that keeps rising up over the last several weeks for me is this. Never underestimate the power of self in sin. It will take you places that you never meant to be. It will hold you longer than you thought was possible. I, I think that's got to be part of this, right? Because what is Simon doing? He totally doesn't get it. He thinks he's okay. Did you see it? Uh, Saul, let's go back to Saul for a moment. Saul thought he was okay. You can't miss that. Saul thought he was doing it for God. Now, he's about to meet Jesus. Ooh, that chapter, you talk about meeting him straight up. Ooh, hello, who are you? I'm the one you're persecuting, Paul. Saul, talk about why. That's pretty much what Peter has just told Simon, hasn't he? Simon, enough of that. Repent. Turn around. Go the right way. Now, the really cool part is, there's one more person in this chapter we don't have time to go today, but there's one that P, or, uh, Philip continues on to his quest, and he meets a full-blown Gentile, a eunuch from Ethiopia, nonetheless. And that man is going to exhibit genuine faith. He's going to trust God with everything that he is, being fully committed to being that man that requires to be humble, to be open, and to receive the gospel. It's like these two men are so distant in the sense of how they responded to the gospel. And you know what? It's the same way today. It's the same way today. The gospel is the same. The recipients, the responses can be very different. You may hopefully be of the one that would say, yes, I need a savior. Yes, I cannot win over sin. I can't. I, it, it, the, the Bible's true. For the wages of sin is death. I can't stop that. I'm, I'm helpless. Just as I would, I was probably, I don't know, six years old. A swing set in North Dakota. I have no idea how we got through my mother swinging with me. I don't know what she said even, but I remember this. I was convicted deeply that I was a sinner and there wasn't anything I could do about it. And I knew it. So what do you do then? I left her company and ran upstairs on the second floor and got in my bed and pulled the covers over my head and hid. <laughs> was there for a little bit and I think, 
Well, this isn't going to work. This didn't solve anything. How many people run away from God? Look at Jonah, right? He's, he goes 900 miles the wrong way. You know, God wants him to go to this place. And he says, I'm not going there. I'm going to go 900 miles this way. I'm going to run from God. I wonder when he's in the belly of the whale, where did I go wrong? <laughs> but it was in that quietness in my bedroom where I had that covers pulled over my head. I did that one-on-one with Jesus. I met Jesus that day. And I said, yeah, I don't understand all of it, but my mom's right. Because I feel it deeply within my heart that I am a sinner and there's nothing I can do. Jesus, you died for my sins. You paid that price. You bought my freedom. I accept you by faith and receive that grace. Not an instant come with this super wazoo Christian that, you know, no, of course not. I'm still not. I'm on this road of sanctification. Three steps forward and two steps back and three steps forward, right? But you don't stop. You just keep continuing. That's one of the keys of Christian growth. You never stop going forward. You get up, Jesus helps you up, and away you go. That's Christianity. It's not perfection. I'm looking forward to the day when I can leave all this sin stuff behind me. And God reaches out and he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You kept on going. You continued in the faith because you changed from the inside. You trusted me. That's what it's about. Now, the other side, unfortunately, is someone that says, either I don't need it, stiff-walled, just arms up, that group is gaining popularity every single day. I look at some of these, uh, you know, these posts or whatever on responses to some type of an article. It's amazing, the anti-God part of it now. It's crazy the level that we've fallen. We don't understand where we came from. But there's the other one that's a little tricky. This is the Simon side. Nobody talk. Have you ever had a sermon like this on Simon? No, we kind of blow right through it. This dude's not saved. I'm sorry, he's not saved. Peter just lays that right out. These are the ones that are scary. The ones that think they're saved and don't know their condition. See, he missed it on self. He missed it on salvation. It was, a war. It was an add-on. He missed the Holy Spirit. You can buy that. You can get that. You can go get the right person. No, no, no. And you don't evade sin. You attack it. Me, I'm a sinner. Those four things you've got to get right. And you've got to get the right Jesus. I don't want a Jesus that's a half-brother to, to Lucifer. I don't want that Jesus. He's not good enough for me. I want... Jesus, the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us, that Jesus. That's why you got to get the right Jesus. Wow. This is heavy stuff, but it's really good because it's true. And the truth is what sets us free. Think of our nation's birth. It was truth that set us free. Our forefathers, they didn't mince any words. I mean, this looked difficult. You're some puny little colonies, and you're going to take on the greatest power in the world? So you got George Washington. You know who George Washington was then? He's a guy that was committed to doing what he could do. You are committed to doing what God wants you to do. You may not be knowing, but you know what? God will use that and preach the word across the world and it will change. That's the God we serve. He rewarded those colonists with freedom. Some of them never were able to taste of it. That's the part we sometimes miss. There are cemeteries full of young men and women that gave their lives, gave their lifeblood for the cost of freedom that really never were able to taste of it. The Stevens, if you will, that he gave his life to free the gospel across the world. It went out of Jerusalem. It's mysterious how God works, isn't it? Uh, We talked last week, remember the Akat, the Indians that uh, in 1956 took the lives of five missionaries. Uh, Jim Elliott's the one we know of, but the one I was really to capture was Nate Saint. He was the pilot of that plane. And his son, Stephen uh, Saint, 
I mean, this is hard. I mean, I don't know, I don't know what age Stephen was when his father, he was 32 years of age when he was killed. Did you also know, I don't know if I didn't mention it last week, those five missionaries, as they landed on that beach, they had a weapon. They had a pistol. They could have taken the lives of those that killed them. The only thing they did is they fired a warning shot. That's all. And they literally lost their lives. And you say, that is so like Steve. What was the purpose of that? Here's this young Stephen Saint that his aunt, he called him Aunt Betty, Betty Elliott, which would have been Jim Elliott's wife, and his father's sister went to the same tribe some few years later and made a difference, and they became evangelized. Not the whole, not the whole tribe, but they came to Jesus. And then to have that man, Steve Saint, to be baptized in the river by two of the men that killed his father. Friends, I, I have no words for that. That's the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Changing the world one person at a time. Get on the side of that Jesus. Find that Jesus and live wholeheartedly. Preach the word. Become a Philip. Make it real. The world never has needed it any more than right now. Because there's a whole lot of Simons running around that are trying to askew the gospel of Jesus. Let's proclaim it. Let's live it. Let's act like we love it <laughs> and obey the Jesus that gave us those commandments. Let's pray. Father God, the power that you have is truly amazing. The times when it looks the darkest. I can't imagine what that church, that young, thriving, growing, populous church within was breaking at the seams in Jerusalem and feeling comfortable, probably. Oh, not completely, because there was certainly some persecution. The apostles were taken to the task. They were taken into jail. The Jews, the religious people were just making life difficult. But nonetheless, it was still at home. And then the death of probably the most gifted young man that we had coming up in the ranks, a man by the name of Stephen, and you took him home. Literally, he looked up into heaven as his life was about to be ebbed out. And he looked and he saw Jesus. Receive my spirit, Lord Jesus. It looked so out of place. It looked so wrong as those five missionaries in Ecuador gave their lives up. Young men, fired up for God, full of the Holy Ghost. And yet, Father, as we turn our heads backwards, the reason we're here today in this place is literally because of you're taking Stephen home, what would be perceived as early, but it was perfect because it moved the gospel into the uttermost parts of the world. Father God, thank you for the Holy Spirit that literally is placed upon each and every one that has trusted Christ because there's one body, there's one Christ, there's one spirit. He is the down payment, if you will, the earnest of what's to come. You are a great God. Father, we all need your strength. We all need encouragement. We need for each step of our journey that takes place, as it goes one step at a time, Father, we need your strength. For when we are weak, then we are strong, which was still the Paul. We rely on, we trust in you and you alone. Father, prepare us for what's ahead. May we stand firm and true to the gospel of Jesus. Thank you for Philip steadfastness to continue to preach. Go with us. In Jesus' name, amen.